Hey there, and welcome to Queer I Am Lord, a brand new show where two or more gather together, I say, to Kiki in God's name. I'm Jorge Olivares of HeyJorge.com, and today I'm joined by somebody who on Twitter describes himself as happily Catholic. Now, I find that very fascinating, particularly at a time when those of us who identify as LGBTQ or queer, um, we're still struggling with our placement in the church and whether or not we should find ourselves affiliated with the institution. But that's not the case necessarily for my guest, Austin Vigu, who is a college student currently majoring in political science. Um, and he has an interesting hobby that hopefully we get a chance to get into because I think that's so cool. Um, but I'm excited to talk about uh, just the queer experience, talk about a spiritual journey, and to talk about how he's arrived at a place of happiness within the church. So Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. So would you say in this particular moment, we're having this conversation in the middle of Lent, are you somebody who's, who's happy with your, either your role, um, just how the space you occupy within the Catholic church? Yeah, I, I would go even so far as to not just say I'm happy, but I'm uh, joyous and really thrilled uh, to kind of occupy this space in the church. Uh, I grew up Protestant, believe it or not. I'm the only Catholic in my family currently. Uh, and hilariously enough, uh, I actually converted to the Catholic church the year after I came out as gay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a conscious choice that, um, you know, looking at everything, I, I made the choice to uh, kind of make that jump. And uh, I have to say, I do not regret it, uh, not a bit. So yeah, I'm 100% happy. What would you say, if at all, that the coming out process kind of did for you to encourage you to pursue Catholicism? Was it something even inherently about that queer coming out journey that, that kind of facilitated the move towards Catholicism? Or was it something completely separate in your life that you just thought made the most sense? Uh, so growing up, even as a Protestant kid, I always admired the Catholic church. And part of me growing up always wanted to be a part of the church, even though I had zero clue how, you know, as a child and a teenager, you don't really know these kind of things. You just kind of go where your parents go. Um, you know, I, I would say that those, I guess you could call it really coming out both as gay and Catholic. Um, I think those kind of occupy two separate roads. Um, you know, I didn't know that a year after I came out as gay, I would also kind of be coming out as and converting to the Catholic church. Uh, the quickness of that kind of took me by surprise. But um, I would say, given the similarities, they, they kind of played off of each other in a way almost. Um, I think there was definitely a certain level of confidence that had to be required uh, for both of those, but really for converting to the Catholic church, you know, um, my family has always been very liberal, very, you know, supportive of uh, LGBT equality. Uh, so that was never the biggest concern for me. Uh, it actually caused a little bit more of a stir uh, coming out as Catholic than it did uh, coming out as LGBT, uh, which kind of funny. It was a nice reversal uh, of how <laughs> things normally go. We're all prepared as queer folks. We somehow prepare ourselves to either hear the the level of discontent, like just discontent that we hear from our families. Like we prepare ourselves for the worst, obviously, right? We yeah. think we're going to get disowned. We think we're going to get kicked out. We think we're going to burn in the fires of hell, especially if we come from a religious background. 
And so to think that that's totally fine, but what you're moving to another religion okay yeah. and you know I, I won't say they weren't supportive you know there are some things about catholicism they definitely don't understand uh they don't agree with necessarily just based on you know protestant theology uh but you know both of my parents are very supportive they both attended my confirmation ceremony um they wear little catholic medals that i've gotten them uh, and stuff like that. They, they attend mass with me for Easter and Christmas. So, I mean, I, w- I won't say that, you know, they were necessarily unsupportive, but, you know, there's been healthy discussions, should we call it, you know, mm-hmm. about things that, you know, we don't see eye to eye on. And because we do belong to two different uh, branches of Christianity, may not ever see eye to eye on. Uh, I, I'm always curious about sort of people's first introductions towards faith and religion. Mm-hmm. For someone like myself, I mean, I don't remember my baptism. Clearly those things happen when you're in the Catholic faith at a very early age for the most part. Um, but I distinctly remember, you know, the incense that would come out at the special festiv- festivities at the mm-hmm. masses, um, or the fact that I was an altar boy at a very early age. Like these little things just stick with me. Um, because you grew up in the Protestant church, what was it about either Catholic iconography, Catholic symbols that you saw either, or maybe even just aspects of Catholic teaching that you remember being introduced to that made you think, maybe I feel more aligned here than I do with my current faith. So ironically enough, uh, the first one was papal supremacy. So, you know, kind of obedience to the Pope. Uh, I never could understand the issue that the Protestant church took with uh, kind of submission to the Pope. Uh, so I can remember even, even as a Protestant back in 2013, I believe, watching kind of with bated breath the news stories of Pope Francis's election. Um, that was one thing. The two other things that went really closely with that were Catholic iconography. Um, I have always enjoyed kind of any kind of religious I- iconic the big word iconic I know. <laughs> yeah that that big word we we know what it is i literally just said it. um and kind of marian devotion mm-hmm. and kind of the pinnacle of that for me that was the final nail in the coffin as it were since we're focusing on lent um was the rosary i actually got a rosary uh, as a protestant and was reciting that and praying that and that kind of was the uh, final straw that kind of led me to the church. I, I think it's easy to determine, even though I know this because we've had this conversation off this recording, but you are from the South, your accent gives it away, and uh, which I love. But I, I think there's something to be said about the Southern experience of a queer mm-hmm. Catholic or a queer member of the faith because of the fact that we are constantly surrounded by either religious conversations, conservative voices, like religion just constantly seems to follow us at every turn. Would you say that that was always a positive experience for you? Always having just either religion, whether it was the Protestant faith or the Catholic faith, having it kind of around at all times, was that maybe helpful in making the decision to to transfer over towards the Catholic faith? Or were there times where you just thought, oh, I, I need to escape from religion, even if just for a little bit? So I have actually never had that thought. Okay. Um, really, uh, growing up, I took a lot of pleasure in studying the scripture, 
uh, studying theology at different branches, um, you know, and I did study the Catholic church for probably six months to a year ish. I'm not, you know, that, that was a while ago, uh, prior to deciding to convert, you know, I had done an independent study of the catechism, theology of the Catholic church. Uh, I studied theology of, you know, Mormonism and some of the, what we could call outlying sects of Christianity as well. Um, so now I, honestly, I have enjoyed being surrounded by religion, uh, even when I am arguing or debating or, you know, enduring somebody's rant uh, about what they think is wrong with the world today or whatever. It's, you know, even at the time, if I didn't appreciate that afterwards, uh, I think I really realized that it gave me a good set of skills to use in those situations to kind of have those debates with people and not shy away or be afraid of voicing what I've studied or what I know, or, you know, my own opinion on the matter. Um, I think it definitely has made me more confident in being able to navigate religiosity uh, in maybe ways that I wouldn't have gotten if I had lived maybe in a different place that wasn't so religiously oriented. Mm -hmm. Are you somebody who kind of based off what you just said, are you somebody who welcomes the debate? Because I know there are a bunch of queer Catholics and queer people of faith in general who are tired of having to defend yeah. themselves and to defend their, their place in the church and, and just say, look, if you have issue with me or if you need me to somehow explain to you why I have a seat at the table or deserve a seat at the table, I can't do that for you. But there's some who, who choose this as a vocation who use their life as an example to show others that it is entirely possible to be one in Christ. So are you somebody who, who kind of looks forward to these, I don't want to say confrontations, but these <laughs> maybe uncomfortable conversations that others want to have with us? I, I think, and you know, I definitely don't want to invalidate um, anybody else's opinions. You know, I understand just like everyone else, that it can be tiresome you know, every day, every week to get up and have to, you know, defend yourself. But in the end, I think that's a little bit about what Christianity is. You know, it's leading by example. Uh, and sometimes we're all as, you know, LGBT plus Catholics and Christians going to be called into situations that are uncomfortable for us, uh, where we're not necessarily going to have to defend ourselves, but we are going to have to justify ourselves. Uh, to people who may not have ever tried to see things from our point of view. And I understand that some people don't want to do that anymore. And if they don't want to, that's perfectly fine. You know, um, everybody kind of has different callings, as it were. Uh, but I'm one of those people where I will gladly take them by the hand and kind of walk them through all of this uh, if they're open to it. And if they really want to debate, we can't. Because, you know, if I don't seek to teach them or instruct them or try to enlighten them about why I do have a seat at the table, so nobody might. And then that's one more person who is never going to hear our side of the story and never be challenged. Yes, it can be uncomfortable for me, and I know it can be uncomfortable for them, but I think we all kind of grow in those moments of discomfort. And who am I to kind of restrict that opportunity for somebody just because it makes me uncomfortable or because I'm irritated by it. Uh, I actually do have 
a Catholic friend who started out very, I won't say she was anti-LGBT, but she was definitely not on board with, you know, the whole thing. And on our first meeting, I just flat out told her, you know, oh, by the way, I'm, you know, gay Catholic. And for the first couple of months, she was very uncomfortable anytime I would, you know, um, say anything along those lines or, you know, talk about that or anyway. She does not care at all now. You know, she's one of my closest friends. Uh, she's definitely uh, altered her stance in terms of what she thought before. And so, you know, a lot of times people who are in that position are even subconsciously just waiting for somebody to kind of come along and show them, yeah, you know, we're kind of on two, two different sides of this line, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we don't belong to the same church or are moving towards the same goal. Mm-hmm. If any of that makes sense, it feels like kind of no, a it absolutely statement. No, it absolutely makes sense because I think it's true. There are folks out there who, because their level of exposure to queerness, because their level of, of exposure to queer Catholics is either incredibly limited or non-existent, um, it does sometimes behoove those who, who feel called upon it for themselves to lead them in the education process. Like it is, it is, uh, it is vocation. I did say a little bit before, it is something that few people are called to do. And those who are called to do it know how to do it well, because that is what gives them sustenance. It's what gives them the kind of life that they need, especially spiritually. You, you were talking about, you know, the, the power of talking about your side of the story and using your life and your, um, your testament as an example. Would you say that it, it's always been, the story has always been 100% the truth and as, as 100% kind of in your face as could possibly be in that you never felt the need to hide aspects of yourself? Um, or was that also a process? Kind of the story maybe two or three years ago was kind of working its way towards the story that it is today. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I didn't come out to everybody all at once. and There was never any giant social media post to, you know, tell everybody I was, but I told those who were closest to me first. And then it's slowly been a process of removing myself from the mindset that it's something I have to hide, you know, whereas maybe I would have, been a little more discreet almost about it out in public and out in the open. Uh, I've now gotten to a place where I don't feel like I have to, you know, necessarily deny or hide that. So I think I, it's definitely been a process for sure. I think part of the, the joys of being called towards having these conversations, these rough conversations with folks who might not be completely on board with our identities and who we are. Um, I can imagine somebody with the political science background, somebody who's dabbling in the idea of running for political office, like that helps because yeah. you, you understand having to reach across the aisle, having to have these, these very um, intense conversations at a time when maybe you might not feel most comfortable in having them. So would you say that's true? This idea that because you're already setting yourself up for hopefully a wonderful political future, in the state of Alabama, that part of the education process that you've started with other folks about who you are, it just kind of goes hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, you definitely know how to 
or learn how to impart your opinions, your beliefs uh, in ways that are not combative, but are assertive. You know, I think in our society, there is a misconception that when you disagree with somebody, you have to beat them into the ground and, you know, kind of make sure they're not getting back up again. And that's not constructive to you as a Catholic or a Christian or a member of the LGBT community or really any community of humanity in general. It's also not constructive to the person you've just done that to because now you've essentially made an enemy where an enemy prior did not exist. Uh, so I think it really goes hand in hand with learning proper communication skills and how, you know, you can't win every battle. And sometimes you do have to walk away and just say, we'll agree to disagree. And, you know, that's not something I knew how to do two, three, four years ago. Uh, that's come with, you know, learning how to communicate. You know, uh, there were times that I do regret now where I had the viewpoint that I have to win and everybody debating me has to lose. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, I'm happy I've come to a spot in my religious and political and uh, social life where I no longer have to have that point of view and instead can look at these things as what can I learn from this person and what can I help them grow in where a year from now they may look back on this conversation and be glad they had it rather than angry that it occurred. Mm hmm. I do want to bring up, because I think there is an element of spirituality that can be brought into it. Um, but for our listeners who might be incredibly curious about what one of your hobbies is, what is it? Because I think something can be said about it. Yeah, uh, so paranormal investigating. And that uh, details what? So uh, anytime somebody thinks that their property, whether it's a store, house, anything like that is haunted... Uh, I'm part of a team that will actually go in and uh, gather data and determine, you know, is this a real haunting or is this, you know, natural phenomenon that's being misinterpreted? So, you know, kind of like you see in the TV shows, we do go in with the K2 meters. We do go in with flashlights that these things turn on and off on their own. Uh, we do go in with the voice recorder recorders that we have actually picked up intelligible words on before. Um, all the kind of stuff that you see on the shows and these things really do work. <laughs> I, because I, I feel like there's not even just with Catholics. I think uh, many people, if you have this conversation with them about, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in spirits? Do you believe that places could be haunted? And I think you always get a mixed reaction. I think oh, yeah. people who are of faith might not say that they believe or they do. Um, but I think, if you could talk a little bit about how as somebody who is very happily Catholic, somebody who, you know, we're, we're meant to believe in angels and saints and, and the, the afterlife and what's to come. How do you, how do you see those two kind of intermingling and kind of informing each other in a way? So the way that I do the paranormal investigation is modeled pretty closely after Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, if you've seen the Conjuring movies, they were kind of the uh, lead protagonists in that, the Catholic paranormal duo. Uh, so my goal whenever I'm investigating is typically not just to get a cool story out of it, 
but I'm trying to get to the root of what the haunting is and figure out, is this somebody who is, you know, trying to move on? Do they need help? Uh, on the flip side, I'm there partly to discern whether or not this is, you know, something a little bit darker than just a ghost, you know, do we maybe need to leave and come back with a priest? Um, so I operate purely on Catholic theology when we do mm. these paranormal investigations. And one could almost say that paranormal investigations have almost confirmed Catholic theology in the existence of the afterlife and that things do continue on. Uh, kind of once the curtain closes on this side, uh, it does open up on the other side in one form or another. I think this is so fascinating because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this idea of, of these spirits, right? Like if, if a family member has passed away and, you know, when we're very young, when we're trying to interpret what death even means and we're trying to understand all the complexities associated with death, you know, they always like to say, well, their spirit is still here. They're, they haven't gone anywhere. But to what you're saying, like there is some truth to that where yeah. there are some lingering spirits that either need assistance in trying to cross over, need assistance in trying to impart, you know, messages that were unable to be verbalized while they were still alive. That's very much a part of what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, that is one thing that debate is still entirely open on. You know, some Catholics believe that ghosts are the souls in purgatory coming through. Um, Others believe that no, it's not, but it's people who haven't crossed over yet. So there is still room for debate on what exactly the origin of people hanging around is. Um, but that's one thing that also um, kind of drives me a little crazy with the way people think about ghosts sometimes is um, they don't realize that if the ghost is hanging around on earth, they have not gone to heaven. Uh, you know, they've not crossed over. So like Ed and Lorraine have actually said in one of their books before uh, that I use kind of as a uh, guideline for how I operate. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, people think it's cruel to send these ghosts on, you know, into the afterlife. But what they don't understand is the people they know are going to pass or move to a different place one day and they're going to be left there in this building. You know, they've not crossed over. So it's not a situation like we have with canonized saints where they just kind of go back and forth whenever they, they deem they need to. Uh, this is a situation where people have not actually physically crossed over for the first time. And so that's, that's something I try whenever I used to give tours in our area for the haunted buildings. I would kind of, you know, try to nudge people away from the belief that all oh, your relative is still hanging around. That's so sweet. Because while that's sweet now, that in no way implies that they ever were at peace. Mm -hmm. And that should always be part of the goal with paranormal investigating is figuring out is this spirit ready to move on? And if so, trying to help them. I've actually had things flat out answer that no, they're not ready to move on and don't want to. And so, you know, they've answered that way by turning the little lights on for us to answer yes or no. And so when that happens, I don't bother because, you know, I'm not going to try to force it to do something it doesn't want to do. But um, it's definitely interesting to uh, speak about this stuff to people 
<laughs> oh no, I find this incredibly fascinating. I'm so grateful to you for being able to share this because there really is, and I'd venture to say, maybe this is just me being a little too on the nose considering the topic of the show, but there is a queerness aspect towards paranormal activity investigation because there is always this desire to be curious and to mm -hmm. figure out like things that we don't necessarily have all the answers for because life presented us with all these questions. Here we are trying to figure out what these answers are and taking yeah. whatever opportunities are presented to us to find them out on our own terms. I, no, like I think, think so. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's definitely an aspect of uh, kind of pulling back the veil almost on uh, both of those things, kind of exploring a side of our faith and our spirituality that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to. Mm. You know, I think they both definitely pose challenges um, as well as opportunities for growth, for sure. Well, I love that we had a chance to incorporate that into our conversation because <laughs> I think it's such a wonderful way to, to show the world how queer Catholics are operating on a daily basis, especially here in the United States. It's, it's a way to be able to express our spirituality, express who we are as individuals. And it's such a unique way to be able to, to show what we wanna do with the world. Um, so Austin, thank you so much for your time and for being able to share your story with us here on Queer I Am Lord. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, this has actually been really fun. And um, I'm kind of looking forward to what we all can collectively achieve uh, in union with our faith and our church here within the next uh, several years. <laughs>